Well, Dwight and Roger, it's uh, so fun to have them back here. I feel like I'm on a reunion tour here, uh, being part of this service today. Uh, you know, as Roger, I got to tell you a couple stories about him. I've been part of scores of interviewing per- prospective staff people. It was 20 years ago that we brought Roger in to interview him for our worship leader. And all these years, I have never had a more unique interview situation. Back in those days, we had what was around the country referred to as the worship wars. Aren't you glad we're past that? People complaining about music. That's our far But we peppered Roger with so many questions. How are you going to manage this? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? And then in the end, the, the interview is coming to an end, and somebody said, okay, Roger, why should we hire you? What's there not to like? That was his answer. <laughs> I've never forgot that in all these years. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing about Roger that kind of mystifies me, you know, it's been eight years ago that he left and went to another call. And during that eight years, I've become an old man. He's no different than when he was here eight years ago. He's the same Roger. How does he do that? But the lasting legacy of Roger, when he came here, he had a unique hairstyle. And now many of us are trying to copy him in it. (laughs) If you allow me to make one personal comment before I jump in, and I know I'm kind of on thin ice here, but I just feel in my heart I would like to do this. This church has had towering giants in our history. People that stood above and beyond. It's kind of like David calling attention to the mighty men in his army. Donna and Dick Perkins is one of those couples. Dick is a guy who comes in our lobby and he searches out. He's got a whole thing that he does trying to identify people who look like they're new. And he wants to go up and introduce them. He loves to share the Lord, loves to lead people to Christ. And and Donna would always engage in helping disciple. And, and I don't know if there was a week gone by that she would not call or send a text to, or an email to Cheryl and I. And she, she, would have, she would have caught somebody who needed some congregational care, needed some follow-up. We're going to miss them. I could name other spiritual giants in this church that have gone on to be with the Lord and Grandpa cried off and Prep Overway, and the list would go on. But you know... It's kind of like giant sequoias. You rarely see one by themselves. The root system of those giant sequoias do not go deep, but they go far. They get their strength by being interconnected with others. I want to be one of those sequoias for you. And I need you to be one of those sequoias for me. We stand on each other's shoulders. I'm so thankful for the privilege of being with you today in this series. We're wrapping up the series on rhythms. It's both a privilege and an honor, but it's also an area of my life that God has been very active in the last six years, and it's a place, and so much of what I have to share will simply be an outgrowth of how God is dealing with me. The rhythm of resilience. It's so fundamental and so important to this series that, that we have been teaching, and it, it's so important to wrap it up with this. And you might wonder why I was selected. 
Well, Pastor Craig felt the weight of this message deeply in his heart, and in his praying about it, he, he decided he wanted to contact a dynamic and humorous speaker. <laughs> he called him, but he wasn't available. So then he decided that what we need is an accomplished Bible teacher who would leave the congregation spellbound with the, with the exegesis and the application of the word, and she wasn't available either. But after much prayer and consideration, he decided what we needed is somebody who has struggled his entire adult life finding the pathway to the rhythm of resilience. And that's when he called me. What I had to share from you is out of my brokenness and weakness. It's not out of my strength. One last qualifier before I jump into the lesson. Whatever else you hear from me, whatever else you might imply going on in your mind, please do not mistakenly for one moment, one millisecond, that I am some way giving testimony that I have arrived at some destination. I have not. But I can tell you, I am on a journey. I am not where I am today. I am where I am today, which is quite different than where I was six years ago, but it is a journey. And anything I know about myself, I perceive where God is working in my life, where I am today is nowhere near where he is yet leading me. I speak about a journey, not a destination. Well, we bring up on the screen rhythm. That's the series title and theme, rhythm, strong, regular, repeated, pattern of movement. Strong, regular, repeated, pattern of movement. The specific word given to me was resilience, the capacity to withstand or recover quickly from difficulties, toughness, the ability to spring back. Resilience, that's the word assigned to me. Well, you know, there's a lot of natural rhythms in life. We either have to accept them or something because we can't fight them. They're just natural. My wife and I came to Michigan. We came in contact with one instantly, the rhythm of summers in West Michigan. Coming from Indiana, I was shocked and horrified. What do you mean we shut Sunday school classes down in the summer? What do you mean small groups stop meeting in home and they relocate out to the beach? What is that all about? Good luck trying to pull a committee or a board together in the summer. Wait, what do you mean you're all gone at lakes and then the boats and who knows what else is going on? It's a rhythm of summer. But those of us who live in Michigan, we love summers. Spring break, forgive me for my directness, but as a pastor... I think it's of the devil. <laughs> the Super Bowl in the church world is Easter. And this crazy spring break is always coming in. Hundreds of people shift their attendance depending where spring break lands. But then, one summer, Cheryl and I took a vacation to figure out what the spring break was all about. We're down in Florida, 70-some degrees, sun shining, back in Holland, snow, wind, cold. Suddenly, revelation burst on my awareness. <laughs> I now understand why people do this. Don't get me started on snowbirds. 
They even start sometimes as early as October and November, but, but by, by Christmas time, they're in full flight to wait places far south or far west. But thankfully, most of them come fluttering back home around springtime. You know, there's another rhythm I've observed. For the last six years, I've been pretty regular at either going to a gym or running one or the other. And this time of the year, I'm often sitting in the parking lot with about five or six other drivers, all waiting for the gym to open at 5 a.m. But on Monday, January 8th, my amygdala gland kicked off. I thought I was under attack. Suddenly, cars started pouring in from both sides of the parking lot. They weren't just pouring in, but there was a whole line of cars coming. Then my reason said, well, maybe there's some kind of political rally here. Maybe there's some kind of big meeting. But then I said, oh, no. This is all the people who made New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I'm confident by mid-March, it'll be back to normal. This, too, is a rhythm that's well-known. We start with resolutions, determination. It's going to be different this year. I'm going to follow through this year. I'm going to have resilience this year. I know this pattern well by observation and by personal experience. Please don't tell Pastor Craig I said this, but when he announced that the series was going to be on rhythms. I said, oh, brother. You see, that triggers something inside of me. My memory of New Year's resolutions. And I also triggered inside of me something that I have learned to become is a fundamental flaw in the lens in which I view spiritual things. It started out when I was very, very young. I heard what we sometimes would call a bulletin filler, and it goes something like this. Salvation is free. That's grace. I have never doubted or wondered for one moment. I have always known you can't earn salvation. It is free, but on went the saying, but the yearly renewal is everything. The lens I looked through was salvation is free. But the massive effort is how dedicated I am, how hard I am willing to work, how much effort I put into it. And when I hear a series on rhythms, I am quite certain I don't care what rhythm is mentioned. I don't care what illustrations are given. I'm going to interpret that as I, I, I need to do more. I should work harder. I should be more disciplined. And in me is that lifelong struggle that somehow, if I just work harder, I will achieve where I need to be. You see, this whole thing of New Year's resolutions, for me, start out with a bang. But for the long term, sooner or later, sooner or later, I get tired, get discouraged, I lose hope, and I give up. You see, I am one of those guys that would start at the gym in January. By mid-March, I never had time. I'd attack one bad habit after another, only to sooner or later succumb to getting tired, getting discouraged, losing hope, and giving up. You all know this definition of insanity. 
The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, but expecting a different result. Doing the same thing over and over, but expecting a different result. I wish I didn't have to confess this to you, but I tell you truthfully that I've spent almost my entire adult life living that insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, but expecting a different result. Lose weight only to gain it back. Resolve to exercise only to get discouraged and quit. Resolve to balance my work life only to result back to the same old pattern when things got rough. Work harder, work longer. Can you identify with me? You ever have any habits that you just are determined, you want to say goodbye to, but in the long term, you keep struggling? I have found in my issues a core part of the problem. That little saying, salvation is free, but the yearly renewal forever, the answer for me for everything, work harder, work longer. I came to believe that I was both the problem and the solution. I now realize I was half right. I was the problem. I am not the solution. I now know that my struggle is more than a lack of discipline. My struggle is more than just not being willing to try hard enough. This next scripture I'm going to share with you is from Romans chapter 7. I'll kind of uh, frame it this way. It's, we don't often bring a paraphrase. I'm bringing a paraphrase, the message, on purpose. I would like to have your imaginations just for a moment. When I read this scripture, I hope you can just imagine and pretend these are my heartfelt words of testimony in this context. My life is more than just about what I'm talking about here today, but in trying to find this pathway to the rhythm of resilience, there is no scripture I could turn to that more perfectly reflects where I'm at. So so listen as I read these words from the Apostle Paul, but in this moment, pretend with me that it is my personal struggle that I give testimony to. I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. I've tried everything, but nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God. It is that Jesus Christ can and does 
He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart, but my mind, but my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of something inside of me. Again, the definition of resilience, the capacity to withstand, to recover quickly from the difficulties, toughness, the ability to spring back. I'll say more about this in a moment, but just to make this quick statement, this pathway to resilience, in my own strength, Romans chapter 7 says it perfectly. Something inside of me sabotages my best efforts. I simply cannot find that pathway on my own. If we were to go on to read Romans chapter 8, we would read there about the power of the Spirit and how it's much more difficult to surrender to God our condition than to just ask Him for forgiveness for our actions. The Spirit, power, comes into our life. Well, let me focus a little bit on this journey about the pathway to resilience I start out by confessing that I am the problem. I know with certainty I am not the solution. I am broken. Something inside of me sabotages my best intentions. I obviously need help. My wife and I have now been in full-time ministry for 40 years. For 38 years of that time, I would make this point differently. For 38 years of that ministry, I would make the point like this. I used to be broken, and God did this or that for me. Six years ago, it became in my heart, deep in my soul, the way I make this point now is I am broken. I cannot do it myself. Present, active, indicative. I am no longer thinking about something in my far distant past. I'm no longer thinking about something even in the midterm. I am thinking about today, in my journey today. I cannot do this. Biggest difference is I see it so differently. Now, if you happen to be sitting beside one of the ladies in the business office, you may see them crying uncontrollably. They'll find this illustration less humorous than you will. Also, if you're under 40, you absolutely can't relate to this, this illustration, but hang on, someday you'll grow up. You'll, get it, you'll figure it out. <laughs> you can't tell it by looking at them, but my glasses are trifocals. I'm so old, I need three options to choose from to see. I can quickly change between far away, up terms, or in close. I can see very quickly. In the business office, every single person there will tell you multiple experiences of working with me. I pick the wrong account number all the time. Not just a little bit, all the time. In fact, one time, assistant was feeling rather bold and suggested that perhaps I should check with the eye doctor to see if my glasses needed adjusted. My glasses are perfectly fitted. My lenses 
are perfect. But when I pick the wrong count number, almost always I pick the number right below the one that I really wanted. I'm off slightly. And when it's pointed out to me that I picked the wrong account number, if I've ever confessed that I'm careless, I'm sloppy, I'm too rushed, it's never happened. It's these glasses. They're causing the problem. They're out of, they're, 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 they're distorting the situation. But I realize I'm part of the problem. I need to concentrate. Which lens am I looking through? Which lens is going to give me the truth? Much of my life, I didn't do well confessing I needed help. I was struggling in Greek grammar. Hey, you need some help? No, I, I, I got this. Need some help moving? No, that's all right. I got this. The only time I would accept help is if I really needed it. Something about pride. And so when I used to think about confessing, especially to large groups of people, it's not just my long-distance past that reflects my weakness of things I can't do. I'm telling all of you that right now, today, in my journey this day, I cannot do this. I simply cannot do this. But the difference is, my lens has changed. I used to think such a confession filled me with shame that somehow something was wrong with me. But now the lens I look through is twofold. I'm simply recognizing a condition that is a fact. And now when I see and confess my weakness, I now see that that is the pathway to going to a strength and a power that is higher than myself. A path I would not take unless I was desperate for the help. You might want to follow me as I read this scripture from 2 Corinthians in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we don't know what this thorn in Paul's flesh was, but we know a couple things about it. It was painful. I mean, it was painful. It hurt. And he considered it a major weakness. The third thing we know about this, he went to the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. Oh, God, deliver me from this broken weakness that is causing me so much pain. The answer is not happening, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. 
You know, grace comes packaged sometimes in struggle and in pain. I quite often have asked people as small group areas, I, I, I love hearing stories. I just, I love hearing people's stories. I often have asked people over the years, tell me, please tell me about one of the most amazing, powerful times of God's spirit working in your life. Tell me about one of those spiritual high moments that was breathtaking, that was your top experience. If anybody answered differently than what I'm gonna tell you, I can't remember it. Inevitably, when people tell me about such an experience, they tell me about it in the context of a, of a major crisis, struggle, or pain in their life. It was that pain, it was that struggle, it was that, 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 that turned them to the power of God which was greater than them. That is that power that came only when they were desperate enough to reach out and find it. Could Paul have found this great power without pain, without weakness? I don't know. But let me share with you, if I could, an economic principle. Economic reasoning is, is where people have a disciplined way of trying to predict human behavior. Of course, they do it for economic purposes. Here I'm doing it in the case of, of trying to predict what I would do. The principle goes something like this. Until the pain of not doing something is greater than the pain of doing it, a reasonable person won't do it. Sometimes God's greatest grace is to come packaged in a pain that will point us into the area of our brokenness and our weakness to where we have no choice but to turn to him for help. That is certainly my story. Only when I become broken do I turn to the Lord for his strength. If you haven't listened to Pastor Craig's message from last week, I hope you get online and do it. I've listened to it twice more since Sunday. Powerful message. Talking about drag and resistance and how, how holding in tension, the drag and the tension made the kite so high. That's true in our lives. It's true in this story with the Apostle Paul as he dealt with his weakness and his brokenness and as, he, as, as a drag point, he then begins to soar. He also talked about God's part and our parts and we both have a part the rest of this message, I'm going to be focusing mostly on God's part, but I, I'm doing it really, and honestly, only because I, I have limited time. But I want to talk to you a little bit about God's part. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Verses, a verse that I have corporated in my life, so much of it, and I, I've quoted it and said it and believed in it, but most of my time, I think it's in some kind of cosmic who knows where. But I want to give you a very practical illustration in the context of trying to find the pathway to a rhythm of resilience. Right on the other side of this wall, that glass walls that are there, when it would rain, periodically, there would be water standing at the bottom of the window. Obvious problem. Rain, water, we got a leak. We have a very accomplished facility staff they diagnosed the problem quickly, spent all their energy trying to fix this, but still, rain, water, rain, water. We got a problem. 
So we call in the experts, multiple contractors, including somebody who specializes in sealing windows. They, we spe- I don't even want to tell you how much we spent, but we spent a lot of money trying to fix a problem that wasn't even there. All of our efforts, 100% were committed. Rain, leak, water, fix it. One day, in desperation, tried everything else. Get up into the upper rafters when it's raining with flashlights looking, and sure enough, a long way away, there was a tiny little leak in the roof. The water would trickle down a major beam up there, come across and drip down. The problem was not water coming from the outside. The water was coming from the inside. Imagine that. Spending all of our efforts trying to fix the wrong problem. That's me. That's my story. And unless I miss my guess, I think there are some others out here who have the same problem. Our problem is right here. It comes in all shapes and sizes, has all kinds of different titles, but our problem is right here. It's so obvious, you have to stop that. We pour all of our energy in trying to fix the obvious problem. Funny thing, when you turn it over to the Lord, he's not so concerned about that problem as he is in the ongoing journey of our relationship with him. My story is too long and takes too much time for me to get into it. But to put it into very, fine, very, very, synch- very synchronize it very, very, very quickly. This little bulletin filler I told you about, salvation is free, but the annual renewal is everything. The reason Pastor Craig's sermon series ignited dread, because I knew guilt was coming, because it didn't matter to me what rhythm you talked about, I, would, I, I knew I was gonna interpret it, I should have done more, I could have done more, I should have tried harder. And in that regard, in some twisted way, I began to think of God as my worst critic. No matter what I did, you could have done better, Lynn. You should have done better. I realized, for me, like the water leak, I was spending all of my efforts to try to fix what was my problem, only to discover that the real issue was the real issue, I needed to change my lens. I needed to see God differently, not as my worst critic, but as my greatest cheerleader. And when I saw him as my greatest cheerleader, everything changed. When I realized not only did he cheer for me day after day, when I fell and when I stubbed my toe or skinned my knee, he cheered all the more. Just like I do when a grandchild is out on the field. I know this Price says something about me, but honest and true, I could care less who wins the game. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, but I care about that granddaughter or that grandson. I want them to win. I want them to feel good. And I don't care if they hit the ball in the wrong direction. I'm going to cheer. I want them to feel my support. I want to be there because they're important to me. 
And when I realized my problem wasn't what was breaking God's heart, what was breaking him as he saw me living in an exhausted life, working harder and harder, longer and more, and for what? Under the illusion that somehow that would fix that problem. I, I, I need to quickly move to this final. What does it mean when the preacher tells you that it's a final point? Absolutely nothing, so, so brace yourself. <laughs> but the Apostle Peter was a man with resolute determination. He had strong willpower. He had the perception of the depth of character. He was bold. He was confident. He was strong. Living in his heart was the biblical illustrations of how the power of God would defeat the enemy and on no timber. He wasn't afraid of the Roman army. He would take on a whole legion of soldiers by himself if he had to. And in that upper room, when the Last Supper was being served and Jesus said, you're all, you're all gonna run tonight. You're gonna desert me. Not me! I'll be there! I'm determined! I'll fight to the last death! I will never back down! I'll never deny you! I will be there! He was strong. He was determined. He had a resolute will. Then, in the early morning hours, a little servant girl. Are you one of his? You, you dress like a Galilean. You sound like a Galilean. Yeah, I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw you hanging out with Jesus. And he began to curse and he swore, I never knew the man. And from there, brokenhearted, he went out and wept bitterly. He cried, he faced his brokenness, he was a failure. He had, he had betrayed the Lord he loved. He was broken. I'm so glad story doesn't end there. Because you see, many times, that's me sitting there. I was so resolute, so determined, but that's me in a pile of failure and brokenness. These are the words that apostle says to us. Because you see, many times we equate confessing our brokenness and our weakness as failure and shame to avoid at all costs. That's my MO for most of my life. But the apostle Peter had a change in thinking. He realized his strength was not in declaring his resolve. His strength was embracing his brokenness, confessing that he could not do this, confessing that he needed the power of Jesus flowing through him to help him overcome. So this is the words he says to us, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he will lift you up in due time. By embracing his weakness, 
Peter found the pathway to resilience, strength, power. It was Jesus doing a work in him. This strength leads to joy and freedom. I'll just parenthetically say to you in case, again, people are interpreting what I say incorrectly. Please don't misunderstand. I have some things to do. I work very hard. I do try to, ex- to insert discipline, and I'm, I'm focused on my thing pretty directly because I do want to be an overcomer. But here's the difference. I am no more long, I am no longer motivated by hearing a voice in my head, believing God saying to me, you gotta do more, you gotta try harder, you gotta be more disciplined. No, I am filled with joy and freedom. This work that I now do is not motivated by my will or determination. It is motivated by joy and freedom. I want more of it. And for me, the pathway to that is embracing the strength of Christ. I have to tell you, if you're looking for a quick fix, you're going to have to go to somebody else. I don't know how that's done. Oh, I've sought a quick fix. My entire life when I'm faced with a problem or an obstacle, I'll go to the Lord. I want you to fix this, and oh God, just do it right now. Instead, he has pointed me to a journey. For me, six years ago, I confessed very publicly, very openly, for the very first time. I am broken. I am undone. I cannot deal with my problem. I have no power. My life had become unmanageable. It was two years ago, two years ago, that sight came, that freedom came, the shackles fell off, and I embraced a whole different lens. I began to see God completely different. And I began to hear him cheering me on, even when I stumble, and I do. I hear him cheering me on, and I'm motivated quickly. I have run out of time, but if you'll let me very quickly tell you about something. Something else that is completely out of character for me. Completely out of character for me. I have come to believe and confess openly, I can't do this myself. I need people to help me. I need to be around people who are confessing their weakness. I need to hear their stories of when they fail or when they exceed. I need them to tell me what they have learned. I so desperately need them in my life because they inspire me beyond myself, given myself. I have limited things that help me, but when I'm with other people, it lights me up in ways I can't imagine. I would like to introduce you to my friends who God working through them have transformed my life. It is through what God has done through them that I now can see not just images, but I see colors, I see mountaintops, I see the forests. And when you've been blind most of your life, how can I talk about anything else but now I can see?
It is God working through them that the shackles fell off. They are broken just like me. They're on a journey just like me. And if you would like to meet my friends, I invite you to come any Monday night at 6.30. I love where we now gather. Everybody's excited about moving in the chapel and it's so crowded, I know we'll all be glad that, but I'm gonna be sad about one thing. In fact, I might, I might even try to get facilities to change the letters on the doors. <laughs> Good luck with that one, but anyway. Go to door H if you have hurts, habits, and hangups. Door H is a place to go. If you're looking for hope, go to door H. Come there. You'll meet some of my friends. You'll hear stories that inspire you, some that will make you cry. You'll hear teaching that will give you insight about taking the next step. If you really want to get intense, join a small group. We've got two of them getting ready to start right now, as a matter of fact. Tuesday nights for men, Wednesday nights for ladies. But please understand, I am not promoting a program. I get no royalties for getting you there. I'm simply telling you about people who want to invest in people because God has done something in their life and they want to share that with you. In 2012, God began to call my heart to work with people with addictions and compulsive behavior. I kind of became semi-obsessed with that, learning 12 steps and eight principles, and I had all the answers, and I just was a passion to teach people how to get rid of their addictions and compulsive behavior. I'm here to tell you, although I still like having a part in helping people get out of their addictions and compulsive behavior, that is not the passion of my life. Since two years ago, the passion in my life, I want people to be able to see. I want them to feel freedom. I want them to feel joy. That's what I want to talk about more than anything else. I want them to find what I have found. I want them to have this in their heart. One quick testimony, and then I want to leave you with one last challenge. For me... It comes down to the point, I will, under every circumstances, sooner or later, I will give up. But I have two choices. Most of my life, when I depended on willpower, determination, grit, discipline in every form and shape, sooner or later, I just gave up and quit too tired, I lost hope, I don't even want to try. But now, thanks be to God, I've given up in a new way. I have absolutely given up trying to do this myself. I have found the pathway to power greater than me by depending on God. I have found instruction, encouragement, and inspiration through a community of people who are in the same battle, different problems, different things, but, but we're fighting similar things. And my life is completely different. My closing challenge to you 
I love this church. And I love all of you. My life has been transformed being able to be with you these years. I've seen you walk through hard times. I've seen you walk through good times. I, I learn and benefit with every... I simply love the people of this church with all my heart and with all my passion. I ask you to choose a better way. And my final illustration is this. When God called me to be in administrative area kind of full-time. All my training is typical pastoral ministries. I've always assumed I'd come here for a short time then go back to being a regular pastor, regular church. But when when the decision was made, then I felt God saying, I'm to be, whether here or someplace else, I'm going to be full-time in the administrative part of the church. I went back and got my MBA. I was sitting there in the orientation. I came this close to quitting. I didn't have the first business class, not the first accounting class, nothing. And I was told before I could even start the MBA, I had to take all the undergraduate courses in business for credit only. It was overwhelming to me how much time that was going to take. And I'll never forget the words of the presenter. It's It's like he saw what was going on in my head. He said, I know some of you, this seems to be an overwhelming task. But you'll never get there unless you take the first step. In that moment, honestly and truly, I didn't think I would make it. I didn't think I had it in me. But suddenly I felt God was calling me to this. I took the first step. I signed up for the first class. Eventually, I got through. This journey of recovery, it's long, it's difficult, it's twisted. This pathway to find the rhythm of resilience, unfortunately, is not a straight line. If you're like me, you will learn more from your failures and your successes. But it begins by taking a step. I hope you'll do that. Thank you for letting me share.